When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ladies and gentlemen, Zach Weaver. Ahoy, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 34, John and Vicky. We heard a series of interviews this week that helped us paint a little better picture into victimology surrounding John and Vicky. I think there are some interesting nuggets to take away from this week's episode, along with your listener questions, which Bob, Janet, and I will dig into right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. All right, everybody. I uh, guess we'll go on with our nuggets that Zach talked about. You guys should know that that intro took three takes because I'm a child and I couldn't handle Zach saying the word nuggets for some reason. But uh, we're back. We're here, of course, with Janet. And you already heard Zach. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Uh, shirts. Remember, we did the the outsider shirts. They are still on they're still on the website on sale through the 30th, I think, and I think what I'm going to do is extend that through the, that's like a Wednesday, so we'll go through the end of that week, which will be, I think, December 2nd or something like that, to get those in. We also uh, got some feedback. Some people really like the the, the the concept of the Outsider shirts. Some people just didn't get it uh, and don't like it at all. So I'm also adding to this order, so if you've been on the website, thought, no, nah, I don't like that shirt, uh, I've added to the website just Truth and Justice shirts that are a black shirt with the Truth and Justice logo. There are hoodies, uh, unisex shirts, women's cuts, and uh, ladies' V-necks uh, with just the Truth and Justice logo. We also have the Truth and Justice beanies uh, that are just some nice little warm fleece-lined knit hats. Uh, and those will be stitch-embroidered with the Truth and Justice logo. Those are on there. Uh, and then 
by popular demand, and they're actually not up right now because I'm waiting for the new mock-ups to come, but they will be up by by the time you hear this Friday, they'll be up. But for those of you in the YouTube live stream, uh, by the end of the day today on Wednesday, uh, the West Memphis three shirts are coming back, and we have the new our new T-shirt manufacturer that is going to do them properly and make them look like they looked on the mock-ups instead of completely different and not screen printed at all. Uh, so those are going to be back up and we're doing a little, uh, a little black Friday action. So the, the outsider ones are the same price they have been because, uh, well, because people already paid the full price and I didn't want to, you know, make them feel upset that they just didn't wait and get them cheaper. <laughs> um, but the truth and justice shirts and the West Memphis three shirts are all like 15 to 20% off. Uh, the t-shirts are like 19.99 and the hoodie is 39.99, I think. Um, for all those those options, so all that is on the website. We've got through the end of next week to get those orders in, and then they will shut down. And when they're gone, they're gone. So once we close down the ordering, we're done with those. I sent them out, and they will be printed and shipped out to you. You'll have them in, I think she said probably about a week after we close down. So uh, just go right to truthandjusticepod.com, click on shop. It's got all the different merch on there. Lots of options to choose from. So go check those out. And again, for those of you that are on the live chat, in the next several hours, we'll have the West Memphis Three shirts back up, the Test the Fucking Evidence shirts. So those will be those will be up on the website. Um, and what else did I have for for housekeeping? Oh, just want to remind everybody that uh, if you are not already a patron, that it's a good time to ch- to to do your Patreon. We have set up now where you can do. Uh, either monthly or you can pay for a year up front and you get a, I think it's 10 or 15% off if you do that. Uh, we love that very much. We do a full hour long video pre-show uh, for all of our patrons at the $5 level. Uh, so every Friday you'll get a video of not only the video of the follow uh, the Friday follow-up and the, all that behind the scenes, but a full hour of pre-show before that where we just kind of shoot the shit. And you get all of the episodes ad-free. You can add that feed right into your uh, whatever your podcast player is, uh, and it'll come in like a normal podcast without the ads. Um, that's all included in the five dollar level. And at what was it at the fifteen dollar month level, you get a free T shirt. Why are you looking at me like I'm going to tell you the answer? <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you do not know the answer. Uh, and uh, at the thirty dollars level, you get a a hat, which somebody posted about the other day. They're really high quality ball caps. They're back ordered right now. It's going to be a couple months before we get them in, um, but you can get on that list. That's right, Bob. Five, fifteen, and thirty. I just looked it up. Oh, I was nice. <laughs> we done. Oh, the Patreon levels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we really appreciate that. It helps us with a lot of, um, a, a lot of like expenses that aren't normal expenses. For example, the other announcement, uh, for any of you that live in the Coachella Valley, the LA area, December 11th through the 15th, I am heading out to California to work on the case. Uh, I'm going to meet up with Janet out there. We've got some, some, obviously some casework we're going to do. Uh, we've connected with Dr. Shiloh, and I believe we're going to do a live show meet and greet Q&A while we're out there. So if you are in the California, California's big state, if you're in the, the Coachella Valley or L.A. area, I think we're, we're kind of leaning towards L.A. Uh, area to do the live uh, the live event. Uh, and that will be, you know, we're hoping if we can find a venue to let us in for free, then it'll be free of charge. Um, if we have to pay for a venue, then we'll we'll sell tickets, but they'll be cheap. They'll be enough for us just to 
cover our cost to have the have the venue there. Um, so that will probably be sound like from Shiloh's schedule. It'll probably be Monday night, Monday the twelfth. I'm thinking, or it might be. Well, it could be another night after she gets off work. So we'll figure it out. Probably shouldn't yeah. just put a date out there. Like yeah, that. pending. Yeah. We got well, to figure probably. out the venue. So pending venue. Date, yeah. time, venue, venue stuff, all that to be announced. But just know if you're out there, one of those evenings, you'll have a chance to hang out with me, uh, Janet, Dr. Shiloh. And I haven't thrown this invitation out there yet, but the guy never tells me no. Uh, if we're in LA, I may even see if old Jim Clementi will will come out and make an appearance for, for that live show. So um, be on the lookout through the podcast. Obviously, we'll announce it or social media. Um, uh, but we'll we'll let you know. But we're going to be out there working on the case during that time. So I had, I had shirts, Patreon, the trip. Uh, but yeah, so the Patreon stuff. So a lot of things like those trips are very expensive, obviously, to go. So that's we use Patreon to do a lot of extra expenses like that. So we appreciate all of your support. And with that, what did you guys think of this episode? I, I recorded it a long time ago before I <laughs> before I left. So I'm trying to remember everything that went on. But we got to hear a little bit more. Uh, with the victimology, got to talk to, got to hear from some people that knew John personally and knew Vicky personally and worked with them. What'd you guys think? You know, so to to jump right in, and start off the first interview with the the Gabby school teacher mm-hmm. was a little alarming to me. I mean, she had a lot of gossip that I I don't know how I want to feel about taking any of it for fact. I was really shocked. By the fact that by were her telling the story of oh, I think we're on the same page about Becky, a certain thing. Yeah, of Becky threatening suicide. I was like, as it was a disgusting as a human being in general, but then like as a teacher too. Like the ugh, that yeah, was, it was it was disgusting to hear. Like yeah, that. um, yeah. So hopefully, obviously, don't uh, don't do that. <laughs> don't yeah. don't react in the way that she reacted yeah that was Um, that was not great what do you think did you take anything away from these interviews janet um i mean i think this i don't know how helpful this is but i I, continuing to have this sense of like how sort of isolated they were Mm -hmm. um you know like like even just hearing from her coworkers, like how beloved she was and how everyone you know she was she was everybody's friend and and people said similar things about becky when she would come to visit and john kind of being there but um it still felt like it sort of bolstered this idea of them just not really having lives much outside of kind of going home and being in their small community Mm -hmm. and then not really being close to people in the community um i agree with what both of you said the teacher one was really tough because you want to feel like you're going to get a bunch of useful information out of it because there she is living catty corner from the house. So you think, oh, this is, this could be really important. Um, and then right. it ends up feeling more like, you know, that Gossip. person that we all know who's like, no, I don't want to say anything, but I'm going to say 10 things that yeah ha- probably have no bearing and just end up making people look bad. That was, that was hard. And I'm sure she was and trying to get- be helpful, but. Yeah, and we're gonna get more of that. Some people, um, I know this is one of the questions, Janet. So I'm jumping ahead on it, but like some people asked about like Sharon Coleman because she was mentioned. She was the person that lived lived right there near them. Also, uh, I'm gonna put her her interview out as a as a bonus for people to hear. But it's a lot of everybody like no. It seems like nobody. Everybody's like, yeah, I knew them really well. Then you get to listening to them. It's like, well, you didn't know them really well. Yeah. You haven't talked to them in years, yeah. and you just kind of have an idea and a bunch of you know kind of rumors about what you think happened. Yeah. 
Uh, and another question I didn't include in the in the outline, Janet, because Janet was traveling, so I had to put together the outline this week. Um, somebody in the chat, Nicole, says, did she just say catty-cornered? There was a whole question and debate whether it's catty-cornered or kitty-cornered. Kitty corner. I think it is kitty-corner. I don't know why I said catty-corner. I think it's either. I think it's a re- – I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways as well. I don't even None know what it, why it exists. Bit. I don't know why that term exists at all, so I really don't know what the – well, how else would you is. describe someone who's not directly across the street from you, but just one house oh, over? Oh, of course, kitty I mean, corner. Wait, is that how I'm sitting from you right <laughs> yeah, now? They're, they're kitty cornered. Sitting, you know, from you right now? Yeah, Zach is currently sitting kitty cornered for me in our, in our studio. Across the table. Kitty caddy. At an angle. Kitty caddy corner. Caddy cornered. Um, all right, well, with that, let's go ahead and get into questions. Great. Okay, uh, starting with Richard. Uh, Richard says, do we know when these interviews happened? The second interview with John's coworker, uh, said it had been so long ago. There was this implication that maybe the actual event was a long time ago. Um, Richard says, I'm just wondering if he might have misremembered the dates when talking about John saying he didn't like Becky's boyfriend. And also, did he say that Becky had told him she was quitting Denny's? That would seem to validate Chuck's account of Becky coming back to live with him again. So if if that's, that's Devin's interview, correct? Mm-hmm. That was in June of the following year. Well, we think. So okay, according to this, the report, it's in June of the following year. Yeah. Um. The, oh, the the report that I put up. Look closely, though. What does the date say? June twenty sixth or June twenty fifth, two thousand six. Right. That would be the June before the murders. Yeah, I was going to say two thousand six. Oh, it is. You're yeah. right. And so that's what I was going to say is this is really weird, oh. and there's no time on it. Yeah. Um. It very fraught. So let's start with Maggie Montoya. It almost seems intentional. She's the neighbor. There is no date. There is no time. Even so, I went to the tra- the transcripts are posted for the the ones that we have. Well, one of them we don't have. Um, but it's like never listed. And, and so, like, I went back and listened because sometimes at the beginning of the interview, they'll be like, "This is Detective Ikel. I'm interviewing this person right. on this date and this time." None of that. There's just nowhere anywhere where there's any date or time uh, for Maggie Montoya, although. If I remember correctly with hers, there's a report, the report on her interview, Eichelt says, I was, I was assigned to this case on the 18th of September, 2006, and it gives the, the, the basics of the case, and then it says, also, I conducted several interviews. This is my interview with Maggie Montoya, and it doesn't say that it could be a year later, it could be a day later, it doesn't say. <sighs> doesn't she say something? Because I was wondering the same thing, and, and I thought I remembered her saying, I thought I remember them having an exchange when she was talking about Ron, that he said something like, oh, yeah, she, you know, Ron and and Tiffany were just down here, was just down at the station or something, something like that. That made me it was, think it was, it was soon after. Pretty, yeah, right? That's yeah. That was the only thing I took away about timing was like, oh, yeah, sh- I think oh, maybe hers this was, was early soon on. after. Yeah. And it was kind of tied into the report where he mentioned the 18th, but he doesn't say the interview was on the 18th. Hmm. Hers is unknown. Uh, Melita Garza. Hers, I found her transcript, and at the top of the transcript, it says Melita Garza was interviewed on October 11th, 2006. I thought, perfect, and then went down, and the actual transcript is an interview with Teresa Turner. It is, who's it, somebody else that lives up there. Not her interview at all. <sighs> uh, so I don't know about that one. Uh, Devins says that he was interviewed um, five months before the murders, so we don't know about that one. Um, wow. The only one that we have a solid date on is David Aquino. Um, who worked with uh, worked in the same department with um, Vicky, and his does very clearly say it was September twenty second, two thousand six, is when he was interviewed. Uh, but yeah, the other three, I said one of them. You know, I assume it's 
maybe June of the next year with Devin. I don't know. Devin's wife is the person when we heard from uh, Mr. Rutherford, the John's boss, uh, the the woman that's in that's in that interview that's like checking for the 1099s and stuff. That's Devin's wife. So in the report uh, with her, she says, you might want to talk to my husband, Devin. Okay. So that's how they get to him. Gotcha. Um, but again, it, we don't have a date other than, a, you know, certainly didn't happen before the murders. Uh, and then again, the Melita Garza, that one is not her transcript at all. And Maggie Montoya doesn't have a date. Uh, but as far oh. as quitting Denny's, I don't know, because all this is weird because you have, you know, no, nobody that was, you know, Javier didn't say anything about her quitting Denny's in movie and in, in moving. But, you know, again, if there was some kind of involvement with Javier, which I'm not saying there is, but if there was, maybe there was, you know, he, that was left out intentionally or maybe she didn't actually tell him that. Um, but, you know, Claire and Janelle, they didn't say anything about her right. moving again or. Selling herself out. Remember, we saw her car. Her car was all seemingly packed with clothes, which seemed like to me that that was probably her moving out of Jacob's house and back into her house. Um, I mean, someone so early I, on I said know. she was moving. I just don't remember who it was. Like very early on, around the Claire and Janelle interviews. I'm not saying it was. Them, yeah, you may, you know you may be right about was that. Like, or, or it was like or or you know what was it in the police report? Was it in the report of the evidence that said, like, evidently she was moving or she was in the middle of yes, moving? Yes, that's what okay. it was. It was it was because her clothes were packed up in the back of the car. They said it looked like she was Got moving. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. This this stuff gets really – it's where we're getting all these different, you know, angles from people coming in. But it's 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 hard because one, people, one person says she was going to – you know, and, and Chuck's account was 10 years later. So – you know, who right. knows if that's accurate, if you're remembering it correctly. So I, I don't know. Yeah, Well, definitely uh, feedback from folks um, about this sort of time frame. Uh, Valeria also says, um, similar to what Richard was saying about this idea of someone not liking someone's boyfriend, us not necessarily really having a sense of how much we can really tie that to Robert or not. Valeria says, as at least six months had passed since John had worked with Devin, uh, Devin was really guessing at when John may have said he didn't like Becky's boyfriend or one of them. There really is nothing to say that John was definitely talking about Robert, is there? No, the only to me it seemed like he had an anchor of, if I'm remembering correctly, he had an anchor of like Christmas time. Mm-hmm. He remembered that it that's was right. Christmas that's time. That's right. Yeah. Um it, that's a pretty solid anchor. Yeah. And I think we know that Becky and Robert were dating at Christmas time the year before. Good point. So I assume that he's talking about Robert. Okay. Uh, Veronica says, has Sarah, Robert's girlfriend, been interviewed? Yes. And when we get into the case against them, which we were, it's coming up like right now, uh, we'll hear from that. We'll hear that. Okay. Megan says, Bob briefly mentioned a while back that the guy who went around wearing night vision goggles in Pinion Pines was Ron. Do we have more information on this? Did it come from an eyewitness? When uh, Was it still when he was living in Pinion? And of course, the neighbor health teacher was brought that up more than once, right? Like she thought it was so strange yeah. that she saw him in camo and all of that. Yeah. So I, besides her, I've had two other people tell me directly that it was, that, that was Ron, that Ron did that, but it was back when he was like in the early nineties, when he was living in the house, it's, there, there, no one was saying that he came back and was like spying on Vicky right. years later. They were saying while he lived there, he would like 
put on like SWAT gear and like camo and night vision and like go around the neighborhood and yeah, that everybody thought that was really Carissa uh, Farley uh, was one of you heard some of her stuff on the podcast, right. but you know she was one of the people that mentioned that that yeah, and, and she told me when I when I sat down with her directly that that's that that was the case, and I, presumably there is never any accounting of it in a way that makes it look different by like Ron or one of his friends saying Not like, no, heard, we, no, he got this new gear and he needed to try it out in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, Megan says, did investigators follow up with Steve slash Harpo? They did. That's another um, interview that I'm probably going to play as a bonus um, when uh, his interview, he, there's a recorded interview with so him. So Harpo does talk. He does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Only to the police investigators. I tried to get him to talk to me and he did not. I saw that he had written a uh, a fan brought this up on the fan page that he had written a little note in the online obituary for Becky. Right. Oh, that was pretty interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was a it was a nice note. It was a nice note. It was a heartfelt note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was nice to see that he had some communication there. Mm -hmm. Great. I just want to shout out the uh, YouTube chat. I was afraid I was missing a ton of stuff. What I've been missing for the most part is the origin of Caddy Corner. So I feel still pretty caught up on uh the case (laughs) (laughs) um okay uh abby says what department did vicky work in macy's uh was she a sales associate or in the stock room or something i thought she was in the shoe department um uh, i'm sure you'll cover all this in the episode on their finances but i thought i remember that she worked in the women's shoe department sorry abby i spoiled that there uh i did too in 2012 and it occurred to me that sales associates worked on a draw commission at least when i was there this meant for me at least that my pay varied a lot per paycheck particularly between high volume seasons. Like for example, summer was always pretty slow, but Christmas, Easter, back to school, et cetera, brought in a lot more money. So that's of course, in reference to you talking about the pay stub and yeah. kind of doing the math on that and trying to figure out like yeah. sort of something consistent about Vicky's. Yeah. And that's exactly right. She worked in the, in the shoe department, she worked on commission um, and you could see on that pay stub. So because of the fluctuations, that's why I just gave an average. I, I just took her year to date divided by the number of hours that she'd worked and it you know, to to that point I don't remember the number I came up with $11 and something per hour or something um is what it averaged out to be with cuz she cuz her base pay was was $7 an hour but you're exactly right she also got commission on top of that got it uh Kathy says has any info been shared about Vicky's vacation did she go alone and if so where and why was anyone questioned about anything going on at the house while Vicky was away and this, I think, is in reference to the conversation about uh, Vicky having been on vacation for two weeks. But then it sounded mm-hmm. like, didn't she say she didn't go anywhere? Or am I misremembering? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's exactly what they said was that she'd come into the store the Friday before she was killed, which was, you know, the tail end of her two-week vacation. And she told them that, you know, John had to work. And so they ended up not going anywhere. She was just home for those for those whole two weeks. And she was due back in Monday, the Monday after she, the day after she was killed is when she was due back into work. And that's, I, I, I got to tell you, like, I really feel like there's, there's, there's something going on here. I really think that the tension of, I won't say ours is misplaced because we're trying to cover everything, but the, but the attention and direction that the police were going, I feel like is the wrong direction. There's something happening, I think, with John and Vicky. I think there's there's something going on with their finances, which we're gonna we're gonna get into. Not this week, by the way, but just because it's a uh I plan on doing it this week, then I remembered it's a short week and I'm not gonna make Kelly and uh Shane work on Thanksgiving and the day after, so it'll be next week. Um 
But it's just, you know, and I say this over and over again. I know I sound like a broken record, but like when I'm investigating like fires or whatever, you're always looking for the thing that changed. And it's like right before this, there's like a vacation. The vacation gets canceled. And then she's like really badly wants to go see Tiffany and go stay there. And, you know, Vicky does and get away from the get out of the house. And then that ends up falling through. And then you, it just, it certainly feels like, at least on Vicky's part, that she wanted to get away, wasn't able to, and then she was murdered. Right. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know that that's where things are going, but to me, like, that's what's setting off the alarm bells. It's not this teenage drama. It's not all that stuff. It's, you know, it's it's not Ron. It's like something's going on here yeah. with these two. Um, and, and, you know, time will tell if that, if that plays out. But for, for me, just so you guys know where my head's at, like, I have alarm bells going off that, Something was up. They they were supposed to go on a vacation. They didn't go. She wanted to get out of there for the weekend. She didn't go. And then she ended up dead. Right. So Sarah says, it's been understood based on what several different witnesses said that Becky and Robert broke up February, March of, 20, uh, of 2006. But in Maggie's interview, it sounds like Robert and Sarah were dating autumn of 2005. Can you clarify, can you clarify the timeline? I can't really because we have so many different accounts. But I don't, I don't think those two are mutually mutually exclusive is that the word i was looking for like mm-hmm. i think they could very well have I, I think they probably were dating in the fall of 2005 through winter of 2000 and then and then broke up in january or february of 2006 you're talking about a six-month window there so yeah and i think they dated for didn't people say like a year and a half so you know, my assumption is yes they were also dating in uh in the fall of 2005 okay ari says and i know we touched on this a little bit but Ari says, not a question, but a comment. And I know even Shiloh talked about this in the chat uh, a moment ago. As a teacher, I was horrified when I heard the teacher slash neighbor say, well, tell him to let her kill herself. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> yeah, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That was that you just don't. And, and I, I tried to think like, you know, time's different. But, but no, that's not an excuse. Like we're th- that, that was pretty horrible for her to say that. Yeah. And everything she was saying seemed so gossipy too. It's like, is it even true? Well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to hear someone who, and I, by the way, my, both my parents were teachers. All my love goes to teachers. You deserve so much more than you're paid. Having said that, it's not great to hear a woman say, as a health teacher, I know that women can be controlling and threaten to kill themselves. And that's a pattern. And that's how they control people. I just was like, wow, we are really jumping to a lot of conclusions and making a lot like, yeah. oh, well, wow, I that's, what? I mean, as you said, teacher, I don't think that separates into teachers. I think that's just this individual saying right. things. I don't, yeah. 100%. She happens to be a teacher. Yeah. It's just that uh, she used that as the reason for her expertise. And I was about yeah. saying like, that's, I don't think you can say that. Yeah. Uh, I do want to touch on, to, uh, I, I Montana, looking at Montana's uh, comment in the chat, I think I misunderstood the question. Or didn't hear it right. So she said, so Robert was dating Becky and Sarah at the same time. Was the question you asked me if he was dating Sarah in the fall yes. of 2005? Yeah. Oh, Robert and Sarah was, were dating autumn of 2005. I apologize. I, I, I thought they were asking if he was dating uh, Becky. No, my understanding is he and Becky broke up January, February of 06. And then he started dating uh, – he and Becky broke up. And then he started dating Sarah after that. I do not think that he was dating Sarah back in the fall of 05. Got it. Um, Kristen, of course, had asked about Sharon being interviewed. You already answered that. 
Um, but Kristen also follows up with uh, wondering if Julie, I don't know if we covered this, if Julie or Lila were interviewed, a couple of other names that came up. Uh, no, no. And I, I, I searched high and low for them by every possible spelling of their first name, last name. And uh, if they were interviewed, it's not in the file, which is another another frustration. And that's And that's what I was kind of touching on earlier. It seems like. They went and checked off a couple boxes with John and Vicky, but I think they were so convinced that Becky was the target. And I've said this before. I think they thought Javier was their guy at the beginning that they were they were just hyper focused there and just didn't really like like especially when she said, go talk to Julie Chasen. She is uh, she knows her better than anyone. Go talk to her. Right. And then they don't go talk to her. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. This this ties into uh, what Kristen said, so I'll, I'll wait to say it till after I read this. But Kristen says, three of the four interviews we have listened to all mentioned that their first thoughts were Ron Friedley. As soon as he is mentioned as abusive, etc., the detectives changed the subject. Did you find this problematic? Ron's alibi couldn't have been verified this soon to the murders. One detective even said he has been eliminated as a suspect. Are you surprised he could be eliminated so fast and that the detective would tell Melita this information? It seemed to me that he was telling her not to talk about Ron anymore. Well, again, he really we don't did shut that down super quick. But Oh, yeah, there's another one. So the interview with Teresa Turner that I mentioned, uh, and that one, which is another one I'll, I'll put up as a bonus, um, but like in there, she says that she had heard from someone that Ron was in town having dinner on Friday night, and the cop literally cuts her off and says, no, he's already, he was 10 hours away. We already know that he's already been cleared, so that's impossible. And like just, just, just – which, to be fair, also people should know Ron does have a twin brother – um, so it's possible someone could have mistaken them, but right. yeah, it, it's problematic unless, unless they verify, you know, they had, we don't know all it would have taken was a phone call. I don't see it. I have yet to see it in the police report, but you know, he said I was up at the house working on, um, you know, working on building the house and I was with this friend and this friend and this friend, you know, it, 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 it could have been as simple as a quick phone call. They check, they verify and they're like, okay, well he's checked off because he lives 10 hours away and i just had three people tell me that he was that he was there all that day um and then he did eventually also take a polygraph i don't i don't remember the date of the polygraph but i want to no i'm not even gonna say i i want to say i thought it was the 20th like it was pretty quick Mm. when he they had him come in and take a polygraph while he was in town um which he passed so yeah i i don't know again i don't know when melita was interviewed so i don't know and I don't know how they verified Ron's alibi unless they cleared him just based solely on the polygraph, too. Right. I don't know. I mean, other interviews we've heard, the detective in question has left that open and hasn't shut it down and has sort of, you know, just kind of gone, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, like has let that play out. But that definitely didn't happen. Yeah, it, it was there. strange as far as being problematic that he's sharing that information. You know, it, it's a little strange that he's, get, that he's giving it to people. But I'm sure there's, you know, also you don't want people going on a witch hunt for, you know, I, I guess I see both sides because I don't know what they did to verify what right. I like if they truly knew 100 percent, we know where he was at. We know he didn't do it that especially because, you know, he was a coworker. The, most of them knew him. I could I could see them saying like, don't like don't even start this rumor because we've already we've already cleared him. Right. Uh, Jason says the big thing that stood out to me is according to the teacher, Robert was being emotionally blackmailed by Becky. And this is the second time we've heard this as a behavior of Becky's when it comes to Robert. Um, suicide and pregnancy are strong lies to gain control through manipulation. It certainly gives 
Robert motive. Yeah, it, it could, but we don't have any. So the, the pregnancy thing came from Javier. Every single person, which we've heard asked over and over again of witnesses, have all said Becky was never pregnant. Becky never had a pregnancy scare. That never happened. Robert has never said that ever happened, which I guess I guess if you're looking at it as it's Robert's motive, then I guess maybe he wouldn't. Um, but the, you know that 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 information that we got from from the teacher, like that's that's never been corroborated by anyone, not Janelle or Claire or Javier, or like like. So we don't know if that even actually happened. Well, I thought Robert said something about her saying like when the question of whether or not she had ever talked about wanting to end her life or anything like that i thought he mentioned that she said something maybe that he didn't but he sort of was like i didn't think she really meant it or i'd have to go back i'd have to go back and listen to that because i was remembering that i remember that's been so many months ago but i remember them asking specifically robert if she has ever like you know threatened suicide or threatened to harm herself or anything like that I thought in my mind I remembered him saying no, that she wouldn't do that. But I, I could be wrong about that, so I'll, I'll verify that. I guess we can talk about it next week, too. And by the way, Montana points out, very, very good point, that even if you're taking Javi's story, she says that Becky – Javi said that Becky told Javi she didn't tell Robert that she was pregnant. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so that wouldn't be a motive, a motive for Robert. But remember, too, that story was so – like it made – like she was pregnant and then she wasn't. She didn't tell him, but – she, but then she had a miscarriage, and then she told him that that she had, or something. It was like, it was really hard to track yeah. even that story. What exactly happened? Yeah. Uh, Caroline says after the dive into Vicky and John's finances, you are on the finance episode that you're working on. Where do you see us going next? It sounds like you said maybe we're gonna head into the case against Robert and Christian. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly exactly what we're gonna do. We're gonna start breaking down what the evidence was. Against them, and then we'll hear interviews from you know the interviews from um, you know Robert's girlfriend Sarah and Kristen's girlfriend Jackie, and start yeah, and and any future people have said they want me to play the interview that we talked about months ago, where where Christian supposedly confessed when he was when he was in the room. But I I'll probably maybe put that up as a is a that audio up as a bonus. There's nothing that Christian didn't say five words in that interview. It's the the cops are monologuing for literally like 40 minutes about why they want to talk to him. And then they finally ask him a question and he says, I think I better have a lawyer. And that's the end of Mm -hmm. it. But yeah, we're going to get into that. So we'll get into the forensics that were against him and the business card and uh, the jail or not jailhouse. The, uh, the confidential informant that, that um, is what caused the second arrest. We'll get into all that. Okay. Uh, Ariana says, not totally case-related, but the first interview played with a neighbor brought this up in my mind again, something I wanted to ask before. The way people form opinions scares the hell out of me. The neighbor had absolutely no facts, just hearsay and opinion, but felt so confident in what she knew. I imagine people like this on a jury, not basing a verdict on actual facts, but being judgmental and opinionated. How many crazy wrong jury opinions have we seen? How many people jumping to conclusions on not actual facts have we seen? I'm just curious, if you were on trial for something, how confident would you be in letting a jury decide your fate? Not at all. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And that's and I've said this for years, like something needs to be done with jurors to, to better educate them, to better, you know, not watch a five-minute video in the jury room where everybody's looking at their phones when it's going on. 
because it's it, it is terrifying just human nature in general i i mean shit look at that's all that's why i don't do social media like social media has turned into you know anything that i hear from anyone or any opinion i have is now fact and if you don't agree with my fact then you know then i'm going to attack you with well, the same mentality goes into into the jury box into these witnesses we hear it all the time somebody hears a rumor or it could just be, you know, for example, they don't like Ron because 20 years ago Ron was abusive to uh, to Vicky or they heard Ron was, you know, you know that, that now Ron's the guy. You better check Ron. Ron's the, Ron, you know, um, yeah, it, it's – I wouldn't be confident at all. I would be terrified to, to sit in front of any jury right now. You can look at this. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in this week's episode. But, you know, Robert and Christian, they were convicted. The jury deliberated for 10 days. Wow. Wow. Ten days now, so so think about that. So, and they were convicted on Friday, which almost every case we've worked that I believe is a wrongful conviction, they were convicted on a Friday. Isn't that something? It always happens because, yeah. and I always said this: this like when a jury says we're we are deadlocked, that should be it. That's it. Hunger. No, no, no. Dynamiting the jury. No forcing them to continue. Because what has happened is, so look at these ten days. That jury heard. Eight weeks of testimony. Well, the jury actually heard six weeks of testimony. They heard all the evidence, went back in. They said, okay, we've heard all the evidence. And some number of those jurors says not guilty. Right. And then they start deliberating for a week into the second week. Still not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Then on day 10 on Friday before the, you know, it's, it's, Either we get a verdict or you're going to continue, you're going to be sequestered through the weekend. Suddenly, okay, fine, guilty. And and I'm not just speaking, you know, based on what I think is happening. In Ed's case, I anybody that remembers back in season two, I interviewed a juror who just completely broke down and lost yeah. it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I asked her, I said, well, Thursday night, you voted not guilty. And Friday morning, you voted guilty. What changed? And she said, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I caved to the pressure. Everybody was making me feel like I was keeping them. It was her and one other juror that we were keeping them from moving on with their lives and being done with this. And the judge made it clear he was not going to let us be a hung juror. Yeah. So I changed my vote. That That's how our criminal justice system works. Right. Think about like how fucking scary that is. Ed Aits was sent, sent to prison for the rest of his life because people didn't want to give up their weekend. Yeah. So do I have any confidence in the in, in the jury system? Zero. And when I see cases like this where a jury deliberated for 10 days, absolute zero. Because that means that people heard the evidence and for nine fucking days held on to their interpretation of the evidence is that they're not guilty. And then on day 10, caved and changed their vote. And then we're supposed to be confident in that verdict. Give me a break. Right. It's and it kind of reminds me of the the sort of idea that none of us would ever give a false confession. Like I think we hear that, and many of us, although I have a lot more faith if I knew there were a bunch of truth and justice jurors, I would feel a lot yeah. a, little, a little bit safer there. But this idea of like you know, I feel like the, the what we imagine is like, well, I would never give in. I'm the person who would make sure yeah. it was a hung jury. Just like, well, I would never falsely confess. Someone else says, well, I would never falsely confess. It's like, you just right. don't know until it's happening. 
you know, what yeah. pressure you're going to succumb to or. People get, and I've been in juries. I've been that have, that have not that long of deliberations. But as a matter of fact, I've convinced someone to vote guilty in a case that they wanted to vote not guilty. Uh, in that particular instance, it was because the juror kept saying it, it was a it was an aiding and abetting law type thing where one person had a gun and the other person was like a lookout. And in, by Michigan law, that means they're guilty of the gun. And just one person just kept saying, well, I don't think he should be. I, I don't think he should go to prison for having a gun when he wasn't holding a gun. And it was just it, and it was like. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter what you think. It, it, so, you know, for me, it was like going back. I, I kept going back to, do you believe he was involved in committing this felony? Yes. Do you believe there was a gun involved in committing this felony? Yes. Then the law says he's guilty of this. She's like, nope. Right. But it was, it, but it, but even, but even that, you know, that was before I was doing this, you know, this work. Even that, it's like, should I have even done that? You know, should I, you know, should I, should I have convinced her to change her mind? Yeah. Uh, in that fact, in that case, she agreed with the law. She just, or she agreed that he was guilty by the law, but didn't like it. Um, but it, it's a, it's, it's a very, very uncomfortable, in my experience, I've been on two juries. During the trial, the jurors are all buddy. We're all in this together kind of thing, right? You get a break, you sit and they bring you snacks and they, all this stuff and it's going good. When it comes to deliberation, as soon as you get into a couple of hours of people disagreeing, we're not friends anymore. Now you're ruining my day. You're ruining my week. You're ruining my weekend. Like, let's get it together. And there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. What I, what I think a lot of people don't continue to think about is, is the burden of the state to prove guilt. Right. And so many people do not move, go into a jury thinking. That. Mm-hmm. So the, the state has to prove the person is guilty, not the other way around. Yeah. And I think too many people do not go into that. They want you to prove your innocence. Mm-hmm. You don't have to prove your innocence. Yeah. So anyway, that's a long time on that on that question, but it's just a. <clears throat> yeah, but it pertains to every single season and every moment yeah. of what this podcast is all about. It's so frustrating it's, to me. I'm and then, brought up. you know, and then we see in season three, Jesse Eldridge's attorney, knowing that was like, there's no evidence against you. We should do a bench trial. A judge will rule. But he was it happened to be a very corrupt system where the prosecutor and the and the judge were were attached at the hip, and they presented this ridiculous case with no evidence, and the judge convicted him. So it's like Jesus Christ, you can't like how do you win? Yeah, Janaya says we now know that Vicky had two weeks off, but didn't go anywhere. Do you think this adds weight to the wheelbarrow having been in place already from Vicky moving trees? Interesting to put those two things together. I hadn't thought about that. And then a second piece, uh, massive red flags over Steve W hiding in bushes and getting angry over the dog run. Was he ever followed up? Does he have any criminal history prior or since? Yeah, we'll get into him. Um, coming up. Like I said, he was, he was interviewed as far as the trees. We just can only speculate all we know. All we know is that she was home for two weeks. That she took a vac- two weeks of vacation, wanted to go somewhere, and they didn't go. Yeah. Jeremy says, this episode seems to indicate that the cops were focusing on teen romance and had eliminated Ron as a suspect. Can we have some context uh, Context as where in the process this indication occurs? I'm not saying Ron is a suspect. It just seems to me that these interviews are rather preliminary, and I would anticipate a lot of evidence gathering about John and Vicky's finances, payments from Ron, etc. Would have taken some time to actually dig into those records. Did the cops ever actually do the work? What I hear is preliminary style interviews being performed as long as 10 years into the investigation and previous episodes and interviews about teen romance. 
you're 100% right. And again, I, I don't know how Ron was cleared other than the, the polygraph. You know, they always say take a polygraph to clear yourself. So, if, you know, which they rarely do if you pass a polygraph. In his case, they did. I don't know. I still haven't seen in the records where they actually called and verified his alibi. I don't know. But you're exa- what you're saying, Jeremy, I, I agree with you 100%. Like that's, they are, they seem to be completely hung up that it has to be because of this teenage drama. I think they started off thinking Javier's our guy. I think they were sniffing out the changes in stories and inconsistencies, stuff like that. Something seemed fishy with Javier. Uh, and then later shifted that over to Robert and Christian. But in any case, like their focus was on the teenage drama, that it had to be the teenagers, which when you think about it, when you think about the the crime and the severity of this crime, it almost seems silly to think that any teenage drama could really, you see teenage drama related, you know, that, that ends up with someone, you know, getting into a fight and getting strangled. And, and certainly this stuff happens, but to turn teenage drama into a family annihilation and arson, like it just, it, those two just don't connect to me. They don't, it doesn't make sense that someone would go to these extremes just on its face. I'm not even saying that's not the case. Um, but it's, 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 it's weird to me that they got so hung up on the fact that this had to be about Becky. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, just to give credit where it's due, I do feel like we've heard interviews where even investigators talking to the teens are trying to find something. I mean, you, you we, we do hear people saying, did Becky ever talk about any sort of weirdness in her family? Was there anything going on with unwanted right. guests that came in? But you know what I mean? Like they are asking the questions. The problem is that no one ever has any answers. And I'm not saying that every single interview right. is like that, but shout out to the investigators who did bother to ask those bigger picture those questions, questions and were trying to like mine for that whenever possible. It just seemed like yeah. they were also but those were the questions empty. too that we, you know, that we have complained about that they they didn't ask the right follow up, you know, right. like, and and they're not always they're different investigators sometimes, but sometimes people would say something. It's like, oh shit, yes. that's important. Fair enough. Yes. And they're course. like, let's move on. You know, right. it, it's it's frustrating. Right. But yeah, I, I get what you say. There were there were a few there were a few instances where they did ask about anything going on with the family. Yeah, that implied like. In fact, I think there was even one where someone said like, yeah, but killing. You know, we're talking about a family. Like, I think there was even an interview where even the cop was like, well, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about something that would force us, you know, somebody to kill all three people. Like, I don't think it's some small thing. And then it right. ended up. And actually, involved. Kristen Hunter in the um, in the YouTube chat just made She just said, especially two teens, exclamation point. And that that's a more important point than I think people realize. This level of overreaction and violence and and complete disregard for human life at all i like i said doesn't compute to me that that's from any kind of teenager drama it's a special kind of person that's got that that can take something that small and make it into something that big and we're talking about for robert and christian to be the two that did this you just happen to have two guys that have that level of of violence and hate and anger in them all over, you know, it's, it seems Dr. Shiloh, I'm sure could speak to that more about, you know, like what, like, what are the odds that that happened? Um, and, but we're going to get into more of that stuff on Sunday. I don't want to keep going on and on about it, but it's just, 
I've just really taken this week and just kind of taken a step back and looked at things. And it was, it's kind of like, what are we doing? Like, like this, this just seems insane to think that this would happen from any kind of teenage drama. And yet, okay, uh, Solomon says, I know this is a process, so I hope I'm not getting too far ahead, but based off the investigation we've heard so far, I don't see how any arrests were made in this crime. No concrete evidence or even circumstantial evidence that anyone that knew them had a hand in this slang. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I there, there's no, you know, my approach to this has been, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go where the leads take us based on what the information we have from the police report. And that's why we've been so long to get back to Robert and Christian, because there just hasn't been anything in the timeline that has pointed to them. You know, they were interviewed and told a couple stories that seemed to line up and seemed to match up with some phone records and things. And, you know, they, they moved on. But yeah, I've I've seen things that are like, well, that's suspicious, and and the changing stories and the lies and stuff like that. Like I've seen that, but I have yet to see anything that to me indicates like, oh, there he is. There's our prime suspect. I don't have a prime suspect right now, and 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 we should, right? And that's why I was saying like when I'm looking at really trying to look at like the victimology and what was going on, I'm like, I think I think we're barking up the wrong tree. I, I and again. Not by mistake. That's our job is to look at every single possible angle. But we've, it's taken a long time to to get through this angle of Javier and Jacob and Austin, that whole friend group and all that stuff. And it's like we got all – we shouldn't – if this was based on some teenage drama, I don't feel that we could have gotten this far and this deep down that angle and not had an aha moment somewhere in there. Right. Yeah, so so I do I do agree with you. I don't think we I don't think we've seen, and 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 if I had to make a prediction, and I hope to God that we're able to solve this case. That's that's my goal. That's what we're here for. There's not entertainment. We're here to solve this case, and I I feel very strongly that it's going to end up some with being someone that is completely off the radar mm. from who we think it is or from who the police thought it was. Similar to the the Delphi, you know, the Delphi case. Everybody's looking here, here, and here, and it's like, oh, here's a guy right. that got arrested that is, you know, no one ever even heard his name before. Right. Whew. Well, that was our last question, which you knew because oh, you're the one it. who put the outline together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I did yesterday. So, <laughs> uh, <coughs> uh, so uh, with all that being said, uh, Sunday's episode is is. Going to be, I'm going to try to answer for you guys why this case. I had, and I talk about this in the in the episode. Um, as I mentioned, it's a holiday week. I had to kind of figure out how to do, you know, what to do for this week. I wasn't going to dump this huge episode on Kelly on Thanksgiving Day, which is usually recording day is Thursday. Um, but I I got an email. Uh, from a listener who just asked a good a good question that was like, can you can you help us understand why this case and what our motivation is? Uh, and that's what Sunday's episode is all about. And I hope it it clears some things up. It gives us some context, lets you know who, Robert, particularly in this episode, who Christian was uh, is uh, the the person that he is. Um, so that's what's coming up on Sunday. I think I hope every single one of you listens to it. I think it's. A really important episode. I'm really happy with the, with the way that it turned out. So make sure you tune into that on Sunday. And with that, I think we're all done. Great. Make sure you uh, if you want some swag. We got uh, to the end of next week to get your 
outsiders uh, shirts or hoodies, your truth and justice shirts, hoodies, or beanie cap, and your uh, West Memphis 3 test the fucking evidence shirts. They're all going to be on sale. we got Black Friday sales going on on the uh, merch shop, so we want to put one big batch in and be done with that for the year. So make sure you do that. And with that, thank you, Zach and Janet and YouTube people. That was the end of the things I was going to say. <laughs> oh. Happy holidays. I was like, I thought you were. Bye, guys. Wow. Rough close. <laughs> we don't have any good parting nuggets, Zach? <laughs> no. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Love ya. Grateful for ya. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I think some interesting nuggets. I think there are. Yeah, I knew that. I fucked that up, and then he uh, he got me. We actually have a sponsor now. Could you say McNuggets? Chicken McNuggets.
Why? Nuggets got me. <laughs> I do. Because that's a fucking funny word. <laughs> I, sorry. Proceed. <laughs> do you feel better now? You still came out on top of oh. that one, Zach. Yeah, you really you did. I don't know. You could have really eaten shit, and you absolutely did not, given what just happened to you. I didn't know that I had that problem with the word nuggets until it came up. <laughs> I had no idea. Live and learn. Live and learn. Each one, teach one. That's fun. Nuggets. Oh. <laughs>